This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Warning, the following episode contains some spoilers for the final part of Netflix's The Crown. From London, I'm Rochelle Travers, and this is The Standard. After six seasons, 60 episodes, and three incarnations of the Queen, Netflix's The Crown is abdicating its throne. We have all made sacrifices. It is not a choice. It is a duty. It's a series that has seen some of the most pivotal moments in history retold, and yes, at points heavily embellished, revolving around the life of Queen Elizabeth II. Whatever you think of the series, there's no denying that Peter Morgan's brainchild has become somewhat of a global phenomenon, winning countless awards and making the likes of Claire Foy and Matt Smith household names around the world. After much anticipation, the second half of the final series dropped today, but following a somewhat controversial part one involving the ghost of Diana, does it deliver a satisfying conclusion to the fans? And is it ultimately an ending fit for a queen? I'm now joined by the standard columnist, Melanie McDonough. Melanie, you've watched the last episodes in the series. Do you think fans of The Crown will be satisfied with how it's brought to a close? Uh, yes, I think they will. I think uh, the Queen herself goes out gracefully with Imelda Staunton. And the new members of the family who've come on over this season, I think, have fared pretty well. The, um, the princesses, uh, the young princes in particular. And uh, Dominic West, I think, makes a terrific Charles and I think is perhaps the strongest element of this particular season. Part one of season six was heavily criticised. How does the second half of the final series compare? There aren't any more controversial moments like Diana's ghost, are there? Well, it has its moments. There's a bit where the Queen actually um, talks to her younger selves. So rather disconcertingly, we get Claire Foy and Olivia Colman popping up to have an argument with Imelda Staunton as the older Queen about whether she should abdicate or not. Um, that can be a bit discombobulating. And then there's a sort of dream sequence um, early on where um, the Queen has a night about Tony Blair and Cherie being crowned King and Queen of England, which we'll all agree is um, a nightmarish scenario. But I don't think there's anything particularly shocking, unless it be the very possibility that the Queen entertained the idea of abdication, and I just don't think that she did. 
The other thing that I thought rather stuck in the craw was the way that Camilla was completely exculpated for the breakdown of her marriage um, in the final session. It, um, it was suggested that it was entirely due to Andrew Parker Bowles's uh, serial infidelities rather than um, uh, Camilla's um, exceptionally public adultery. And I think that was very below the belt because even more than the royal family, Andrew Parker Bowles can't really defend himself. So I thought that was... Um, a lapse of judgment and taste from um, Peter Morgan. The first half of series six didn't seem to focus as much on the Queen as in previous series. Is she back at the centre stage for these final episodes? Uh, yes, she is. I mean, um, obviously, there are um, episodes that deal with other uh, characters. There's the uh, William and Kate romance, which does include the Queen. And then there's the episode on Princess Margaret's death. And that, again, uh, very much features the Queen. She is the pivot around which all of this turns. The very nature of The Crown means that all the series have been very different from one another. Do you think that people will remember it as one of the great British dramas? Um, well, please God, it will turn out to be the final um, episode because um, I don't think we could bear another season, not least because I think the younger royals are so much less interesting than the ones that have died. But I think that um, although the Queen has been through as many incarnations as Doctor Who, I think that uh, it, it is um, abidingly interesting because uh, she did live in interesting times. The whole um, story of the family does reflect in some ways the story of Britain during the course of a very long reign. And so in that sense, I think it will continue to have a fascination for the viewer. But as time goes on, the problem will be that um, fewer and fewer people will remember what is history and what is simply a Netflix Peter Morgan reconstruction of history. Do you think overall the crown has been a good thing for the royal family and how it's viewed? Uh, in general, I think it's done them a lot of good. I can't think of any character who's come out of it really badly. Even poor old Harry um, is, is, comes against, uh, comes out as being put under a great deal of um, of pressure from the, um, the death of his mother, the unwanted remarriage of his father, uh, the sense of always being um, the second in line and very much the spare. I think that all of the characters really are given as sympathetic a ride as they could be. And in some cases, such as Camilla, probably a more sympathetic ride than they warranted. So I thought that the final episode was rather moving because it was the Queen from start to finish contemplating her and her husband's mortality. And that, I think, um, is a useful exercise for queens, but also for the rest of us. And in that sense, I think it was actually rather a salutary note on which to finish. Let's go to the ads. After the break, we find out about the latest episode of our newest podcast, London Love Stories with Katie Strick, featuring none other than the much-loved British filmmaker Richard Curtis. 
will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. This week on The Standard's newest podcast, London Love Stories with Katie Strick, we have a special festive episode with the man behind one of the best Christmas films of all time, Love Actually. Yes, the much-loved British screenwriter, producer and director, Richard Curtis. I'm a great believer that love actually is all around. And, you know, I never stop thinking that for all the terrible things that are going on in our world, somewhere in London, you know, half a million people are falling in love. Joining me now is Katie Strick, the host of London Love Stories. Katie, you've got a very special guest on London Love Stories with Katie Strick this week, Richard Curtis. Why did you invite him on and what is his love story all about? So to me, there was only really one person that I could possibly imagine being our special guest for a Christmas special of London Love Story Series 1. And that is the man who pretty much just sums up love and London and Christmas, who is, of course, Richard Curtis. I mean, he practically invented the Great British rom-com and it's pretty miraculous. His Christmas film, Love Actually, is still sort of heralded as one of the like all-time Christmas films 20 years on. But there was also a second reason we wanted to get him on, which is that he is co-founder of Comic Relief, who are our campaign partner for this year's Winter Survival Appeal. And he felt like a pretty perfect person to speak to on this year's campaign theme, which is love for humanity. So we chose not to interview him about his love story with Emma Freud, his lovely wife, or any of his ex-girlfriends, though they both certainly feature in the interview. But it was actually about his love story with London itself. So it's a slightly different episode, but a really special one. Because um, London has been the backdrop for his entire life. It's, you know, his first visit at the age of eight. He moved to Camden at the age of 20. He spent decades living in Notting Hill and has just moved to Hampstead. And it's also just the backdrop of so many of his films. You know, you could just name any of them, really. Four Weddings, Bridget Jones, Love Actually. So it's a really beautiful episode. He walks us through through his favourite filming locations and sort of some of the key moments in his life, which just so happened to be dotted around the capital. Obviously, as you mentioned there, he's behind so many iconic British films. Love Actually, Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Did you get to hear any fun behind-the-scenes gems about them? We got lots of fun behind-the-scenes gems, yes. So as many people probably be aware, Love Actually, as popular as it is, has also had some criticism for its lack of diversity. I know some people have accused it of being this sort of white middle-class fantasy land. And what was interesting is that Richard brought that up himself. You know, I think he said he's been kicking himself um, about quite a few of the storylines or lack of in the 20 years since he made the film. So he said that when in the original script, he included an LGBTQ plus story, which ended up being scrapped. Quite a few stories got scrapped just for timing purposes. And he wishes he'd kept that in. Um, and he wishes he'd included other religious festivals as well, such as Diwali. Obviously, we had to ask whether he could be tempted to do a remake 20 years on because of some of these changes he would like to have made. And he actually gave us a bit of an exclusive line here, which is that as much as he would love to boost the diversity in the film... Love Actually was actually the movie of his that was the biggest mess with two months to go. He said it almost didn't run. It was in such a state. And the script all completely changed from from the original to what, what made it to screen that we can see today. And here's a nice clip on how he did some of that untangling of the script. With all those stories, it was very hard keeping people interested. When I, I kind of originally wrote the film 
like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I would just have one bit of each story, one after the other. And when I watched the film, it was as though I didn't actually care about any of the stories. You know, the moment you did an extra bit, you then lost interest and went to another story, then another story. So what we had to do was do A, B, C, 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 A again, um, D, D, F, you know. So it was, and it was like playing three-dimensional chess. Any scene could go after any other scene. So it was very hard. And the, 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 um, the final film is like I threw up the original script and put it back together in a completely different order that was the that was the problem and with each episode of london love stories with katie strick you usually come away having learned something either about love relationships dating life what did richard's interview teach you about london and its propensity for romance Richard has some really lovely answers to this and some of them were things I've appreciated myself about London and some some were new to me. So one thing he really talked about was London's cosiness, the proximity we all have to each other. I know in some cities like LA where he's spent some time in his life, you might have to get in the car for 10 minutes to see your neighbour or to go to the gym. Whereas what's lovely is that people walk around London, even the most expensive houses are semi-detached. And we walk and we get public transport. And so that can lead to some of these amazing sliding doors moments on the tube as we have in episode one or other sort of magical encounters with with our neighbours. They don't have to be romantic encounters. Richard told this really lovely story about a big issue seller he passes on at the end of his street most mornings on his walk to the tube and how he often gives this man some cash for his appeal. And the other day, the man stopped him and said, hang on a second, reached into his bag and pulled out this pot of honey. And it was just to say thank you for all his cash donations. And it was a really lovely moment of gratitude um, that he had there with this man. So I think there's there's all forms of love that you can see around London. He also talked about some of the more obvious things that make London really special and romantic feeling, especially at this time of year. He talked about the river, obviously, the Thames. I'm sure many of us have walked along the banks of the Thames or across bridges and felt it's a pretty romantic place to go for those difficult or wonderful conversations in romantic relationships um, and a lot of that features in his films he said darkness as well which I hadn't ever sat down to think about myself but it's a really good point you know I think so many of those scenes when people are sorting things out in a love story in a film are set at night with those twinkling lights and again especially at Christmas he also talked about the diversity and the mix of people in London which can make it so special I think that's really woven into our whole series of London love stories a lot of our couples are very different from each other and sort of different within the couple and different from between the different episodes. And I think um, Richard really touched on that there. And that diversity in people can then help to lead to that diversity in love stories as well. So as I mentioned, it's not just romantic love. Richard gives us some really lovely details about his friendships and the friends he used to see for dinner in Clapham every Tuesday throughout his 20s, um, which inspired um, that dinner party set with Charles in Notting Hill. But there's also that love for strangers, like the big issue seller that we mentioned earlier. And that was really the message that came out throughout the whole interview, really, was that acts of kindness can actually be some of the most romantic gestures out there. And that ties in so nicely with our appeal and with Christmas. And the message really is just that we should all be as generous as we can. And as his big issue seller story taught him, you never quite know what you'll get back in return. To hear the full interview with Richard Curtis, search London Love Stories with Katie Strick wherever you get your podcasts or hit the link in our show notes. And that's it from The Standard. This podcast will be back tomorrow at 4pm. 
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.